Amen. You guys can have a seat. My name is uh, Wade Bryant, and I'm the pastor over high school and emerging generations, and I'm excited to, to kind of speak this morning um, over one of my favorite books in the Bible. And let me kind of explain why it's my favorite book in the Bible. I actually experienced a call into student ministry when I was in the sixth grade, okay? The sixth grade, before I was even a youth ben, uh, or in youth ministry, I experienced this call into, to, to youth ministry, and um, I was at a camp, a preteen camp. It's my first overnight camp away. Um, and just to kind of date it for you, the, the camp was called Mission Possible, okay? Um, so if that kind of tells you the era of which, you know, I was at this preteen camp. And so um, really cheesy, really corny, but God did an incredible work in my life that week. And my peers throughout the week were coming to me. They were talking to me uh, about some of the problems, some of their struggles, some of their home life. They were asking me to pray with them. And they, they had just stated, you know, I, you're a person I look up to in the youth ministry. And I'm like, well, how? You know, like why? And, and God was just speaking to me in these moments and saying, you know what? The, you, you see your peers coming to you, see them talking to you, asking you to pray with them. This is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. I want you to help. I want, to help, I want you to help people discover who I am, discover how faithful I am, and, and pray with them and, and love them well. And so I experienced this call in the youth ministry. I then go into to, to the youth group as a seventh grader, and I'm from a small town in Howe, How, Texas, small town, Texas. Um, and so if you, if anybody in here from a small town, anybody? Okay. Yeah. So it, you, you say that with pride, but you also know that small towns come with everybody knows everybody's business, right? Everybody knows everything about everybody. And so our churches aren't much different. It, actually, sometimes church are the hub of gossip and like, you need to just need to pray for Imogene, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. <laughs> And so, like, it comes, and, and that's kind of how church was. It, it kind of was this breeding grounds for gossip sometimes, and, and, and that's kind of the, the bad part of church. And, and in this small town, I saw in my youth ministry over six years, I had five different youth pastors come in and out. And so my youth ministry wasn't great. Like, I had some cool moments, and God equipped me and called me and did some really cool things through me, but I didn't have a stable youth pastor in, in my life and influence in my life for, for a long time until about my senior year. And through that time, I had mentors. I had guys that were pouring into me, older men, dads of, of, of my friends, pouring into me, praying with me, um, teaching me God's word. And, and there was this, this uh, one group of men, this one youth pastor that came in my senior year, and he saw the potential in me. And he asked me, hey, would you be a part of this men's Bible study that we're doing? I'm like, well, yes, I will, you know, because I am obviously a man as a senior in high school. Not really, but I was like, I was super humbled and honored to be a part of it. And so I said, yeah, I'll join your Bible study. And the first three books that we went over were First and Second Timothy and then the book of Titus. And I just, in, in those Bible studies, in that time with those older men studying God's word, I just fell in love with the word of God. I fell in love with its richness and, and through that time, God was using these books in First and Second Timothy to shape me into to who I am today, and he's still using them to shape me. 
And, and so out of that men's Bible study, there were, there were about five or six of us. We actually started a church in 2005. I was 20 years old. And in 2005, we started a church called the Summit Church. And I was a youth pastor there for a couple of years. And it was in First and Second Timothy and in the book of Titus that God really shaped my ministry and started doing incredible things. And so um, we're going to dive into Second Timothy today. Um, first of all, just some context. Paul wrote Timothy First and Second Timothy to a guy named Timothy, okay? He's really creative in his titles of, of the books, all right? He wrote this letter to, to a guy named Timothy. It's a guy who joined him on missionary journeys. When Paul and Barnabas split up, Paul took Timothy with him, and he did the work of, of, of a missionary, of evangelist, all throughout these towns on Paul's journey. And, and Paul equipped him and mentored him and even refers to himself as his spiritual father, right? Timothy, I, you are my beloved son. I am your spiritual father. And so you see this relationship, this friendship that is formed with, with Paul to Timothy. And what's unique about First and Second Timothy is that they are, are written straight to people. All the other books were written to, to churches and cities and different things like that. But Paul, or Paul wrote Timothy directly twice, and he wrote Titus directly once. And so one of the verses that really shaped me and still shapes my ministry today is 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, The things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable men that they may be able to teach others. And so this is something that's marked my ministry and, and why I do student leadership, why I pour into younger people, because God has given me much and he's entrusted this thing to me. And I've heard other people pour into me, and so I'm going to entrust it to other people that they can entrust it to other people. And then we see the health of the church growing because people are discipling one another. And so that is, is what, what has drawn me to, to these books so often, and I'm excited to speak a message out of it. First of all, you should know that, that First and Second Timothy are three things. It's, it's, number one, it's pastoral. Okay, it's pastoral in nature. And don't, you know, at this moment, check out, be like, well, it's for pastors, so I'm out. No, it, it's pastoral in its nature. But if you've been at Grace Point for long, you know that we believe that every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. Every member is a minister. And so if you are a member here at Grace Point Church... You are a pastor. You are a shepherd. You are someone who is carrying the, the ministry of, of God's kingdom to our people. And so this book is written to you and it's written to me. And so keep that in mind. And even you, you grabbed it. You got a couple things on your way in. They, one of them was a, a, a list of kind of the ministry, some of the essential ministries here at Grace Point. You, you grabbed that on the way in. And as I'm speaking and as I'm kind of relaying this message, be reading over what these ministries are, are going to be about and continue to be about in the next five years. And you also got a little card. And at the end, you're going to have an opportunity to say, you know what? I want to be a minister in this ministry. I want to help this ministry do amazing things over the next five years. And so um, be praying over that. And at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to lay some of the cards over here. And so number one is pastoral. Number two, it's personal. And I'll say this from experience. The reason that I go back to this, this, these books over and over again is because Timothy 
is, is one of those things that hit me right in between the eyes, and God uses it to just convict me, uh, to, to lead me to action, to change some of the things and sanctify me and to make me holistic. And I'll get into a little bit of that later. And then lastly, it's practical. It's things that you can take and you can read and immediately go out and live that out into, into your daily lives. And so that's what First and Second Timothy are. And, and here's kind of the, the set of verses that we're going to focus in on today. Second Timothy 1, verses 6 through 14. Let's start off by reading it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that and we'll read it together. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has not saved, or he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has, has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So the set of verses, the set of verses that Paul wrote to Timothy gives us a charge. And it's very much centered and inundated with the idea of the gospel. It's very gospel-centered. And, and this gospel is, is, is very unique to us. It's, it's because God saw that we were sinful. He saw that we were going to eventually be we were going to die and spend eternity without him because of sin because God loved us he sent his son to to come to this earth live a perfect life die a perfect death and then raise again defeating death for eternity and if we believe in him then we can accept his goodness and and live eternally with him and so this gospel is 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 all through this set of verses and and by this gospel two things we are one we are saved and two, we are called. We are saved and we are called by this gospel. It says that in, in these set of verses that we are saved and we are called to a holy life. And look at some of the other language that Paul uses in this set of verses. He uses things like you have a testimony, that you are called, that you have purpose, that you've been appointed, you're called to follow. You have to guard it. You have been entrusted to this. Man, this is some strong language that Paul is laying down for us to read through and to take ownership of the gospel in which God has called us to. It's pointing to the importance of this message that we've been entrusted to. At one weekend over this past year, Shane Wood was talking to us. You know, there, there's a couple different things that when it comes to, to Jesus, and we are, we are really good at accepting Jesus um, as our Savior, 
right? Like we're, we're pretty good about accepting Jesus as our savior. And, and I, I can, I can testify to that, man. Eight years old, I was sitting in that first Baptist church of how on Easter Sunday. And I heard this pastor preach the gospel, preach what Christ did on the cross and how he defeated death. And he said, you know what? If you believe in, in this Jesus, if you believe in what he did, you won't have to live eternally in hell but you'll be able to go to heaven and live eternal life. And I had sung songs about this, right? And I'm sitting there in my pew as an eight-year-old. I'm like, well, that sounds freaking sweet, right? Like, that's a good deal. All I got to do is believe in this guy, and, and I won't go to hell. And I'll, I'll go to, to heaven where, you know, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Big, big table, lots and lots of food. I love food. And so I'm like, this is awesome, I want to accept Jesus as my savior. But here's the deal. There's a second part to Jesus that, that he's also our Lord. And that he, he calls us to follow him. We're called to follow everything that he does. And, and it's easy for us to accept Jesus as our savior because it's a sweet deal. But then he says, you know what? Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me because I'm your Lord. And, and by this gospel, we are saved and we are called. And he has set this calling on us as the church to carry this gospel throughout the whole earth. He has, he has commissioned us. He says, church, I need you to share this good news throughout the whole earth, teaching people, baptizing them so that they will be saved. And here's the deal. There's no plan B. God left us with this charge. He left the church with this charge. He's entrusted it to us. And he said, you are called to live out this gospel wherever you go. And there's no plan B. So you better do it. And so we have been saved and called through the gospel. And we have to live it out. And we have to leave it wherever we go so that it doesn't get distorted, diluted, or deleted from our context and culture. And the enemy is trying to do this, guys. And this isn't going to be like a hellfire and brimstone message. Don't worry. But the enemy is trying to take God out of our context and culture, right? We, we see all of these things happening where prayers being removed from school, where, where kids are feeling intimidated to even bring their Bibles because they're looked down on, where they can't even share speeches and things like that about, about their faith, which is a complete joke and lie. You are protected as students, in high school, in junior high, wherever you are, by law to be able to practice your religion, okay? And so if you're a student in here, know that you can, you can wear your Christian faith with pride. You can bring your Bible to class and they can't do anything about it. You can actually organize clubs to meet about Jesus. All you got to do is have, a, have to have an administrator at the school. And so the enemy is trying to distort our view of the gospel to say it's about us. And maybe it's, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll, you'll prosper, you'll have prosperity. Or distort it from, oh, well, you know, God is love, so love is love and love wins. And so there's no hell or anything like that. So just, just follow God because he's a God of love. He's trying to distort it and dilute it and, and make it even be deleted from our context and culture. So it's our call to share this gospel wherever we are and live it out wherever we go. And so how do we do that? It's a high calling. How do we do that? Well, number one, we, we need to realize we can't do it alone. All right. We need help. Not only do, do we need the one and others, 
Not only do we need the one another's that, that Mike just got through speaking about, the one another's living, encouraging one another, loving one another, admonishing one another, doing all of these things together as a church. We can't do this alone, but we also need the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, God lays out the Spirit through Paul and he says, this is the Spirit that lives in you. It, it's a Spirit that does not make you timid, but it gives you power, love, and self-control. This is the spirit that lives in you. It's not one of of timidity or of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. And so take that spirit and live out my gospel wherever you go. And so the Lord, please help me here, um, is, sorry, uh, yeah, there we go. The Lord, please help me, is those three things, power, love, self-control. Cheesy, I know, but that's who I am, so deal with it. And so here's the deal. I, and I'll, I'll just kind of be honest with you. I'm going to start with me and then I'll let the spirit do the rest and, and work. And, and so, and the reason I'm coming back to second Timothy is because God is over and over again, just, just pounding me with these, these sets of verses. And, and so I am, am pretty good at the first two of these things. All right. Power and love. All right. I am, am pretty bold. If you know me, you know, I'm bold. Um, actually Brooke and I, when we were dating, um, she, we were in premarital counseling and, uh, the guy that was doing our premarital counseling asked us this question and it's kind of awkward. We, you know, we, uh, you know, I was like, man, how am I supposed to answer this question? She, and he, he says, what is your favorite thing about each other? And what is your least favorite thing? And I don't think we'd ever talked about our least favorite thing about each other. That's not something that comes up in normal dating conversation. Right. And so, so we, you know, she, like, I'm struggling with this, and Brooke's like, I got it, you know? <laughs> like, what? That didn't take long at all. So she had been, like, already thinking about this. And so she's like, that's easy. My, my favorite thing about Wade and my least favorite thing about Wade are exactly the same thing. And instead, I never have to wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> and I, you know, I, and I started thinking about it, she, and she starts explaining it. And she says, you know what? Like, in our dating relationship, it was really nice to know exactly where I stood as, as a girl in a dating relationship, I knew that you liked me, that, that you thought I was beautiful, that you liked my godly character. You even told me whenever you said, this is getting serious and I'd like to pursue a, a further relationship. And you let me know whenever you were moving towards engagement. You let me know that you wanted to marry me. I love that about you. But I also hate that about you because you tell me all the things that just come to your mind and I never have to wonder what you're thinking. It's like you don't have a filter. And I was like, amen, right? Amen. <laughs> And so I, I'm pretty good at the bold part, all right? And I, I love people, man. If you, if you know me, I'm kind of like Olaf. I love warm hugs, right? Like I, I love people. I'm the dude, the annoying guy in, in lines and, and that talks to strangers, like, hey, how are you doing, you know? Um, which is, can be creepy, but that's okay. Um, but I, I love well, I think. You know, and I, I, lo- I love people. I love, that's why I'm in ministry. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a show when I'm out there talking to you. I love you. All right. And, and, and so I'm good at these first two, but I am terrible at self-control. I'm terrible at self-control. And here's, here's kind of the reasons I, I stink at self-control. Let me just lay these out to you. I told you I'm starting with me. All right. You guys just jump on. All right. First reason why I love, I stink at self-control is because of Brooke. 
All right, don't take that the wrong way, all right? She is, like I said, I, in our dating relationship, she never has to wonder what I'm thinking. And so, again, filter thing, right? I, I'm not good. God is still working me on my filter. And I have to be really careful about saying things to her in a harsh way that can be demeaning or that can, that can bring her down, all right? And so, in, I mean, you know if you're married, you have lots of opportunities with each other, right? Like you are with each other a lot, all right? And so there are all these opportunities where, where my self-control doesn't tra- transfer over to my relationship with Brooke. And so that's the first reason. The second reason, I think, is because of Saturday Night Live, all right? <laughs> this might seem like a cop-out, but man, there weren't many, there weren't many Saturday nights that I, when I was growing up, I mean, even from the time I was little, I watched Saturday Night Live every Saturday night, Okay? And I, man, I started to emulate these, these characters and these people that were on there. And, and at one point, I even wanted to be, I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. That's what I wanted my job to be. I wanted to do sketch comedy for the rest of my life. But from watching them and idolizing them and, and seeing Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and Molly Shannon and, and Eddie Murphy and all these people do some incredible skits, I started to, to, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought every opportunity was an opportunity to practice sketch comedy. And so I would come up with witty things to say to people, and people didn't like it, you know? And I, I, I couldn't control myself because that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I was like, you know, like I, I was terrible at self-control. I, did, I, I wanted to say all these witty things, and, and it didn't end well in a lot of situations. The next reason I stink at self-control is that I like to win. I'm competitive. Anybody competitive in the house? All right, yeah. But I saw one person, like, they wanted to be first, right? I am. I'm the most competitive, all right? And so, you know, I'm competitive. I like to win. And I, man, pray for me because I'm already seeing this. And I, I was playing Shoots and Ladders Hero Edition with, uh, with Zion the other day. And he, I mean, he don't even know the, the rules. Um, and I, you know, I, I uh, didn't win the first game that we played. And I was okay. Like, I, you know, it was good. I, was, I thought it was a victory. It's like, I'm not throwing this board right now. What's up? And then he wins the next game, or he doesn't win the next game, and he throws a fit, right? And I'm like, oh, Lord, he, he learned this from me, right? Like it was that sobering moment. He saw me want to win so badly and get mad at some point that I didn't win. And so I'm praying already for Zion not to be as competitive as I am, but I'll probably be that dad, you know, out in the driveway playing basketball, like stuffing it in my kid's face, like, you got to bring that weak sauce somewhere else, you know, like I'll be that dad to build their character, right? Um, but I, I have a hard time like letting people win and I, I like to win, so I'm competitive. The next thing is, is that, I, that I lack self-control is because I'm from Texas. Hey, all right? And I know, I know it's a proven fact that Texas drivers are the best drivers. And it's my job as a Texan to teach you all how to drive. At least that's what my mind tells me, all right? And so I have a tendency to have some road rage. And Brooke hates this about me and because I take opportunities to teach people lessons on the highways. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, I'm going to show you how to turn, all right? And so um, this is a blinker, you know, like I'll put it. All right. So I'm terrible. I have road rage. And so because I'm just, you know, driving friendly the Texas way, um, which is not so friendly. 
Um, how about this one? This is the last one. How many of you guys had a spirit animal growing up? Yes, thank you. All right, first service, no one raised their hand. It was really awkward. So I've got one that's awesome. All right, um, spirit animal growing up was the wolf, all right? And this sounds, man, I was in a club called the Wild Man Club. Like we had a fort. Um, we made it with our bare hands. Uh, we then promptly climbed out of it because we made it with our bare hands. Um, and it wasn't holding all of us. And so, but we had this, so we turned it into a den. And we, we made this fort and the wolf was my spirit animal. Like I was the protector of our pack, right? It was very, is an honorable thing. And so I always thought that I, you know, I didn't go around like, like howling at the, the moon or anything like that, um, maybe once or twice. But I, I then, I've since, like as I've grown up, I've, I've learned that my spirit animal actually isn't the wolf. It's actually Chloe the cat, <laughs> which is very, far less intimidating. And, and I just want to, I will share with you, I won't say why I'm Chloe the cat. I'll just let you watch it. So watch this clip and uh, I'll let you know why I am Chloe. See you later, Chloe. So that's the real reason, and that's my spirit animal, because every diet pretty much ends in that same way, <laughs> where I'm good for a while, and then it's like, no, I can't hold it anymore, and then a cake pops up. All right, um, so I am, I am honestly, like, I'm, I'm terrible at self-control, and here's the thing about God's Word. Power, love, self-control. This this isn't like a grading scale where God's looking down and saying, you know what, Wade, you're, you're good at two out of three. That ain't bad. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. No, the spirit of God is designed to live inside of us to make us more like Jesus. And so the spirit that lives in us is one of power, love, and self-control. And it's not you pick one or the other in certain situations. It is a holistic thing that we are, are called to embody power, love, and self-control at the same time. And so the reason why First and Second Timothy hit me so hard is because God is calling me to something more than myself. And I can't just say, you know what, I'm from Texas and I'm terrible at diets and I have road rage and all these things and that's okay. No, my call is to be more like Jesus, holistically be like him. And so we're going to break these down, and, and I just want to invite you to come along with me and allow the Spirit to, to, to move in all of us to continue to make us like Jesus. The first thing is power. And my, Paul said this, my message and my preaching were not wise with wise and pers- persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, the ultimate act of power that you can show is actually to humble yourself, to make way for God's power, right? To show that it's not about me. I am very much second and God is first. And and here 
is God's power. Would you lean on that? So in our power, it's not to make ourselves look good. It's not to have the most confidence or charisma. It's not about any of those things. It's literally pointing to the power of God. The wicked flee through though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This is who we are. The same power that conquered the grave lives in each and every one of us. Victory has already been won. And so we should be the most bold and powerful people on planet earth because nothing can stop us. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And so we have this confidence, but it's not about us and the things that we can do. It's about the God that loved us and that saved us and lives in us. The love part of it, it, you don't have to go very far to realize that God is about love. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and not perish. And it says this, that God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to love it, to love the world, to save the world through his loving son. And so God is, is very much about love, so it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that the spirit that lives in us is about, it should be about love. John, 1 John 4 says that we love because God first loved us. And so why do we, why are we so strategic and why are we holding our love back from people? Because God looked down on us and even though we were sinful and broken and we were We're far from him. He loved us so dearly without condition and sent his son to die for us. And so we need to model that same love unconditionally to our world. That's the spirit that lives inside of us. The last thing is self-control. That this is one of the fruits of the Spirit. This is, this is literally marked with, with who the Spirit is and that the Spirit that lives inside of us, that we're supposed to be self-controlled. And God actually gave a spirit of wisdom to Solomon, one of the wisest men that's ever lived. And, and God gave him wisdom. And over and over and over again in Proverbs, Solomon writes about self-control, being self-controlled. He says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And all three of these are, are something that is, is are supposed to mark us. And so let's, let's take those three things and let's look at three areas in which we desperately need the Lord to please help us. We desperately need this power, love, and self-control to inundate. The first area is, is kind of, uh, it's the area where, where God started to work on me and in this verse and really allowing me to practically live out this verse. And that's in the area of conflict. And I, I deal with conflict a lot as a youth pastor. I, you know, am constantly, you know, talking to teenagers that are at conflict that are, are you know, because we, we are in conflict. We are not great at human relationships sometimes. And, and they're in conflict and I have to work through that and counsel and mentor and, and mediate these conflict resolution type uh, situations. Also, I have, I have parents and different things like that that come to me that, that might be in conflict with something I've taught or something that I've said. Um, again, I stink at self-control, so I don't always have a filter. And so I deal with conflict in different areas of my life. I deal with conflict in, with my family, with my extended family. Conflict is one of those things. And so God started working on me. You know, he said, he said you are not just Wade going into this conflict. 
You have a spirit that lives inside of you that, that is one of power, love, and self-control. So take that spirit to this conflict. And so let's break this down. Number one, we have to have power in conflict. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We've been kind of disillusioned in our culture to say that that Christianity, those who are believers in Jesus, when it comes to conflict, their only correct response is to be passive and to lay down and to turn the other cheek. And what does that look like, right? Like you can't respond to conflict. You got to be that person that sits silently. No, that's not necessarily it. Now, there are some things that we have to control ourselves. Like I have to control myself for wanting to win an argument or whatever it might be. But this says to be quick to listen, to listen to, to the people that have conflict with us or conflict with believers. And then it says to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. It doesn't mean never speak. It doesn't mean just sit, sit quietly by while people berate Jesus and the gospel and, and say Christianity is, for, are, are, is a fraud and all these different things. No, we have to be slow to speak. We have to be quick to listen. We have to stand on the truth of God's word with boldness because it's the only thing that has stood the test of time. It's the only thing that will continue to exist. And so in our conflict, we have we have to have power, we have to have boldness that this thing is true and we can believe it. But we have to do that, again, coupled with love. We have become a new creation. It's not us who live, it's, it's Christ who lives in us. And so we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, just like we were lost and broken and God reconciled us to himself. We have that same ministry to do that to the world. And so when it comes to conflict, it's not that we're trying to win or prove someone wrong. We have to have the love for another person to, to just realize, hey, you know what? Like, I know, I know this hurts and, and this is, this, you've been hurt, this stings, but I love you and I want to see you know the love of my father, the love of God, the love through the gospel. And so we have to do this in love. The last thing, we have to have self-control. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And when I go through conflict in, in my office and I'm dealing with things, man, again, that, that, that witty nature, that wanting to say that zinger to get them, Right? I have to remember that I have to be bold. Yes, I can share how I'm feeling or how, what they did, how it made me feel. I have to be bold in sharing the truth of God's word, but I have to look across at that person and love them so well that I want them to know Jesus in his right attitude and his right spirit. And so I have to have the self-control not to say anything that's gonna jeopardize that relationship and bring them back to Jesus. And so I have to have self-controlled. And here's the deal. In conflict, it's, it's, conflict's meant to be resolved, right? Like, it's a terrible book. How many of you have read a book and there's conflict, and then the book just ends, and the conflict's not resolved? Does that make you feel good about spending that 10 bucks on that book or whatever? No. It's just like a show. Man, they do this in every show. Like, season finale gets here, and you're just left hanging. And then you've got to wait for the summer 
and wait till September to see how are they going to resolve this conflict. It's annoying, all right? But that's how they get you to watch TV and how they get you to buy ads, whatever. But it's conflicts meant to be resolved. It's meant to be resolved. And I'll tell you this, if one person's person wins by, by saying that zinger or making someone feel obsolete or less than, then everybody loses. There are no winners when it comes to conflict resolution if one person wins, okay? It's meant to be this reconciling thing for the conflict to be resolved. The second area which we need the Lord to please help us is in our current events. Um, Man, there are a lot of touchy subjects in our world today, right? There are a lot of touchy subjects, whether it be this election year or whether it be, you know, Target and the, the, the bathrooms, the transgender bathrooms or uh, gender equality, whatever it might be, there's a lots of touchy subjects. Brooke and I just went to Target the other day and there were people picketing Target and holding up these signs and, and bashing Target. And I, I've said this before, but when it comes to signs, man, we, we hold up signs, people hold up signs like God hates this, God hates this, but the reality of it is is that God hates signs, Right? God hates signs. No one's ever been like, oh, that's the love of Jesus. I'd like to know him. Because someone's holding a sign. You're literally putting something in between you and the other person, right? And it doesn't make me like feel this like, oh, warm and fuzzies about who Jesus is. And so when it comes to current events and how we kind of wade through these things, we have to have this power, love, and self-control. We have to have power. Rick Warren said it the best, that our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you don't agree or you disagree with someone's lifestyle, that you must fear them or hate them. The second is that, if you, that to love someone means that you agree with everything that be, they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Man, in this world where there's lots of touchy subjects, you don't have to, to, to just lay down on your sword and say, you know what, you're right. I shouldn't say that to you. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't disagree with you. No, you don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. The truth of God's word, the absolute truth of God's word will exist always. It is good. It is truthful. We can trust it. And so let this be the thing that you have power and boldness with. But remember, when you're talking to people, when you're talking to people about you know, some of these touchy subjects, that you have to do that with love. Again, God hates signs because they don't really evoke this emotion of like, uh, I don't think it's telling of who God really is because God is love, right? And so Paul reminds us that, do you not realize that God's kindness is leading us to repentance, right? His kindness is the thing that, that leads us to repentance. It's not that, that God is angry. It's not that God is, has these standards, these, these things here. It's No, it's, it starts with God's kindness towards his people. And that leads them to repentance. And they start seeing that, that Jesus is their savior. And then they can allow Jesus to be their Lord, right? And so we have to remember that as we are talking to people, as we are, are wading through some of these tub, touchy subjects, that it's his kindness. And so we have to have to stop this. We need to stop doing this as, as Christians, guys. We need to stop judging the world based on God's standards, right? 
to, to, to start saying, why are you acting like that? Why are you doing that? Why are you believing in that? Because the world doesn't have God's standards yet, right? Like we, we have to see the world as the world. And we have to love them so well that they would be able to see a different way. They would be able to see God's kindness and his love. And then we can hold each other and other believers to God's standards. We can't do it before that because that's not going to lead anyone to Jesus. And so we need to think through this when it comes to current events. How can we build bridges, not walls? All right? This is not a political statement, all right? So don't think that. But how do we build bridges, not walls? In our current events, as we wade through these things with love, how do we reach into somebody's life and build a bridge and and not a wall up to where we won't have a relationship with them? Because guess what? If you build a wall up between someone, you're never going to get the opportunity to share the gospel, ever. And so think through that. As you deal through these current events, man, will this bumper sticker build a bridge or a wall? Will this statement that I'm about to say, build a bridge or a wall. Think through those things. And the the, the most, I think, glaring avenue in which we need to be careful about what we say, we need to have self-control in social media. Man, I don't know when, but it happened that social media became this platform where we share all of these, all of our political views, we share all of our opinions, we, we, we berate people, groups, whatever it might be on social media, and we comment in threads, which never ends well, by the way. No one ever sees your point or your tone or whatever it might be. Man, let's be self-controlled in how we use social media, and we start building bridges and not walls in our world. Next time you think about posting this or commenting on that, why don't you just text the person or call the person or message the person and say, hey, you want to get together for coffee? I'd love to just chat. And start there. Man, that is an avenue. That's a bridge into a relationship where you could share the gospel. The last thing where we desperately need God to please help is in our commitments. In our commitments. When it comes to our commitments, our, our lives, we, we, we saw that we have been saved and we have been called through the gospel, right? Saved and called. And so our lives should reflect that. Our lives have been redefined, repurposed, restructured so that we could be bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so do, do our lives reflect the gospel, See, oftentimes we, we compartmentalize our life, right? We compartmentalize our lives. Well, I go to school or work here. I, I spend time with my family and my friends here. I have these hobbies. I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm even in that Bible study. I'm even logging into Right Now Media and watching some things here. And so that takes up this part. And then I go on vacations. I do other things. See, we compartmentalize things. And, and church and God is just a part of our lives, but if, if your life is a, is a pie chart, then guess what? God is the pie, right? God is the pie. It inundates every one of those things. God is with you at work or at school. God is with you in your family, in your friends. He's with you when you're carrying out your hobbies. You're doing the things that you love. He's with you on vacation. Although some of us would like to think that he's not, right? He's with you on your vacation, 
And all of it is an opportunity for you to be bearers of the gospel because you have been saved and you have been called. We have to live out the gospel in everything that we do. There's no compartmentalization. God is the pie. Francis Chan said it like this, that in our power, we have to have power because our greatest fear shouldn't be the fear of failure. It should be the fear of succeeding of the things in life that don't really matter. At the end of the day, getting to, to before Jesus and him saying, good or well done, good and faithful servant, that's the only thing that we should be longing for. And so wrestle with that. And we have to have love in our commitments. Man, Galatians 2 tells us that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but it's, it's, we're living for Jesus. And, and he modeled that he loved us and he gave himself up for us. So are we modeling that in our world? Are we loving well? Are we giving up ourselves for other people? Oscar from the Nairobi Chapel said this. He said, are the things you are currently living for worth Christ dying for? Because of God's love for you, are the things you are currently living for worth Christ dying for? We need to ask ourselves that question. And here's the self-control part. With our commitments, do we have the space in our calendars to love well? Do we have space in our calendars and our commitments to love well? Or do you find yourself constantly going from one thing to the next, constantly dropping off kids here, doing this, playing this sport, doing this thing, working these hours, doing all these things, and then at the end of the day being so gassed that you pull into your parking lot, you close the garage door, you go into your house, you sit behind your privacy fence, and you never have an opportunity to love well. Do we have space in our commitments and our calendars to love well? If you don't, then you might not have the ability to say no. You might not have the self-control to look at all of the opportunities around you, and even if they're good, to be able to say no, because that is not something that I am going to have time for to do well, to love well in. Who or what is determining your yes? What do you say yes to? Is it God? Or is, it, is your, your schedule and your commitments and your calendar determined by all the stuff that you're just kind of reacting to? And so who is determining what you say yes to? And here's the deal. Things in life aren't necessarily bad. The things that you do aren't necessarily bad They're good things, but are they gospel-centered things? Are they things that that exemplify that we have been saved and that we have been called through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to live that out in our daily world? And so I know that you guys are doing great things, that you have a lot of things that you could gospelize, right, that could be gospel-centered. But if you don't and you find yourself, well, I don't really have anything or or maybe I've been coming to this church and I haven't gotten plugged in we at Grace Point want to give you an opportunity to have a commitment that is gospel centered and so I shared this at the beginning this card these these ministries that you have and I'm going to invite the band back up and and they're going to play and they're going to sing for us and 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 we have this this call 
at Grace Point, again, every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful, to, to, to just really challenge to, to offer and, and extend an opportunity for you to join in to what God is doing, to help create the future here at Grace Point Church. And so as the band plays and as they sing, even if you're currently already plugged into a ministry, look at some of those ministries that, that we are, are desiring for, for your commitments to line up with and, and, and just say, you know what, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to readjust my calendar, <coughs> my commitments, and I'm going to commit to this. So the band's going to lead us. You guys fill that up. Y'all can stand and sing. And when you're ready, come and lay them on the, the front here.